The word of the Lord from Matthew. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him along at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is his judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, what is it, who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, Oh, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied that it was an oath. I, I don't know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And he, immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The word of the Lord. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we ask now that you would help us, your people, to understand and believe and receive your word. We ask that for those of us who know you, you would make us faithful to you. And you would help us to love you more than we love sin and death in the world. We ask for anyone in this room who is 
far from you that you would draw them near. Anyone who is separated from you that you would redeem. We're asking for you to work today, O God. Please work. We plead in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if you would, take your Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter 26, where Suzanne was just reading. We're in, in the... We're in the part of the story of Matthew where I believe it's best to just let the story tell itself. Sometimes creativity is a blessing, and sometimes creativity is distracting. And sometimes you have creative pastors, and sometimes you have me. So this part of the Bible is for people like me, okay? Like, I think the best thing I can do for you over the next few weeks is simply tell the story and plead with you to interact with it and to respond to it. So today's sermon is entitled, The Arrest. And what we're going to see in this passage this morning is Jesus ultimately is arrested to fulfill the scripture. Jesus ultimately is condemned because of the claims, the true claims he makes about his divinity. And this is all moving toward redemption, hope, and salvation. So what I've done this morning, I think the easiest way to tell the story and not get lost is to, to notice that, think about this like a play, like this passage has two scenes. You have the scene in the garden, and then the curtains close, and then the curtains open, and you have the scene with the high priest in his home and in the garden around his home. And I think the best way for us to wrestle this particular passage down is just to follow the two scenes. So first point, if you're taking notes, in the garden. In the garden. This is verses 47 through 56. And um, what happens in this section is Judas leads the troops to arrest Jesus. Jesus wasn't their, I mean, Judas wasn't their leader, but he was the one who was betraying Jesus, who was going to take them to the right man. There's this strange incident where the ear of a soldier is cut off and Jesus tells them to stop fighting. And then there's the reason why all this is unfolding. So in the garden, first, we're told that while Jesus was speaking, Judas came with a great crowd and the crowd came with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. So they're coming to arrest Jesus and they will not be thwarted. And Judas comes, he welcomes Jesus with a kiss. That was the sign. And Jesus says, do what you came to do. And so they put their hands on Jesus and they Sees him. So Jesus has been arrested, not because of wrongdoing, but because the scribes and the chief priests and the elders feared him and they wanted to do away with him. 
Now, I don't think I'm reading too much in that because in the next scene, they're going to have an open time for people to come and bring their charges against him, right? Like they, they just wanted him arrested. They just wanted him gone. And Jesus faces the arrest. I don't think we have to make much more of this than that. Jesus knew this was the will of God. He knew it was the plan of God. He knew Judas had betrayed him. And he said, do what you have to do. Second, we have what I'm calling the ear episode. So, verse 51 says, One of the disciples stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, if you're new to the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all telling the story of Jesus. And this account is in three of them. And so if we piece those accounts together, what we see is it was Peter who did it, which shouldn't surprise us, you know. Um, And not only did Peter do it, but Jesus reached down, picked up the ear, and healed the man. All this happening in the moment. And so Jesus tells the disciple, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? How then should the scripture be fulfilled? It must be so. So Jesus looks at Peter and the disciples and he says, We're not going to do it this way. We're going to do it my way. We're not going to do it this way. We're going to do it my way. Put your swords down. I will be arrested. Okay. There's a lot of ink that has been utilized to make contemporary connections to this passage. Okay. And I'm going to try to not create a bloodbath of my own that has me with my ear cut off this morning. Okay. But I think this is really important. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, My kingdom will not be built the way you think it will be built. He's saying to the disciples, it's not enough that I should be arrested and that I should die. But the way the story unfolds is of vital importance. So some would take this passage too far and to say... Jesus was a pacifist, and all war is always sin, and not going there this morning. Some would take this passage too far and say, Jesus doesn't need you to fight for his kingdom. He's enough, and and almost create like a a passive fatalism. Don't, Don't take that either. But clearly, Jesus is saying... My kingdom will not be built by my disciples defeating Rome physically in this space and in this time. Okay? So, 
the next time you feel like raging into holy war of any kind, I would ask you to read all four of these accounts, as well as all the other things Jesus is saying about his kingdom being built, and meditate upon it, and think about it, and ask this question. Is it enough that we fight for the kingdom, or is it more that we follow Jesus and join him in the work that he's doing to build his own kingdom? I think that should be our takeaway from this section. There's also an apologetic takeaway, and by the apologetic meaning like defend the faith. Um, often when we're working our way through the scriptures, through the story of Jesus, we, we really focus on all the Old Testament promises that God made that are completed in Jesus. By the way, that's a great way to read the scriptures. I'm for that, okay? I'm on team, see the fulfillment, Okay. But there's also something else going on that the Lord is doing in this. He, he's, he's making it really crystal clear why Jesus was arrested, why he was killed, what he was charged with, right? And so by Jesus saying, put your sword away, we're not going to do it that way, then he's not dying as another failed insurrectionist who couldn't defeat Rome. Rather, he's going to be accused of something completely different. And his death is going to be in a completely different realm. So, it's, so, so there's this look back and see completion, but there's also this the Lord mapping out how it's going to go forward that, that's beautiful and meticulous and right and accurate. So that pushes us to the, the, the third reality we see in the garden is Jesus says that all of this is about, wow, okay, about someone needing a muffler this morning. Um, Jesus says that all of this is about the scriptures being fulfilled. Verse 54, how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Verse 56, this, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. So Jesus understands that his life, his ministry, his mission, his redemption and his kingdom is about taking all the promises that God's made to his people and bringing them to pass through his life. And so he's saying, like, we're going to carry out this plan exactly as it was planned so that all the scriptures might be fulfilled. I just wonder, do we say that so much that, that we don't think it through, like, all the scriptures be fulfilled? Like, ultimately, what Jesus is saying is the truthfulness of the scripture in some ways is at stake. And I will carry out my life in a way that all the truthfulness comes to pass. It's shown to be truthful. It's shown to be right. It's shown to be believable. It's shown to be good. The scriptures are fulfilled in Jesus. So what this shouts to us by way of tangibility is this. We can trust God's word. 
Because God's words come to pass. And what the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus did was it took centuries upon centuries upon centuries of promises and it completed them. As if to say, God can be trusted. God's word can be trusted. The story of Jesus shows me that. Man, if I could pray or long for anything for us today, it would be this. God can be trusted. God's word can be trusted. And now I could wait and do this later under Peter, but let me just save some time and do it right here. The words of Jesus also can be trusted because they are God's word to us. And what I'm talking about was from last week, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And what we see unfolding in this scripture is three increasingly bold denials of Peter that I never knew Jesus. And then the rooster crowing as if to say, and it came to pass exactly as he said. Now, friends, the fact that God can be trusted and God's word can be trusted doesn't mean that we get to tell God what he owes us and then demand that back from him because he's supposedly faithful. But when he has spoken, we can believe it. And when he has promised, we should believe it. And we should pray it. And we should ask the Lord to help us build our faith and our life upon his word. Those of us that are going through really hard times right now and Per capita, like Redeemer's knocking that one out of the park for some reason. I don't make that as a light joke. There's a lot of hard in this room right now. So some of you are like, oh, he's talking about me. No, no, no. I'm talking about us and all of us. One of our biggest challenges is to trust the promises of God above our feelings. That means we can still have feelings, And we can still hurt, and we can still grieve, and we can still be angry and doubtful, and all the emotions are acceptable, but our challenge is to cling to the word of God that will come to pass so that it can begin over time to shape how we feel even in the face of great trauma and great difficulty. So maybe your prayer this morning is, Lord, help me do that because I just can't even get started. And I think the Lord would answer that prayer of faith. So we see this arrest, see the cutting off of the ear. We see that ultimately this is unfolding that the scripture may be fulfilled. Then we move to this second scene with the high priest. So verse 57 through 75. The rest of the story plays out either in the the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, or in the courtyard outside. Um, And as this is unfolding, there's two issues at play. What will they charge Jesus with, right? Okay, so this is like one of those really bad crime dramas where they arrest somebody and then they try to figure out what to charge them with, right? Like that's literally what's going on here. Remember we were told a few 
chapters ago that everybody was in town for the Passover. They feared the following and the trouble that he was making. They're like, we have to put an end to this. And then Judas came to them and said, I'll sell him to you for 30 pieces of silver, which they happily and swiftly handed over. So now they've arrested him. And they got to, but they, to put him to death, they have to do it by their law, which they are supposed to be the keepers of. So they're looking for multiple witnesses who can bring the same credible charge against Jesus. And what we're told is this goes on and on and on. And even those who are looking for a reason to accuse him can't find a credible charge to hold against him. Until, verse 60, two come forward and say, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days, which Jesus did say. It's recorded in the Gospels for us. So they were like, this must be the charge. They decided to drill down on that one. And so the high priest stood up, spoke to Jesus and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ. Tell us if you're the one who was to come. Tell us if you're the Messiah. Tell us if you're the Savior. Tell us if the, we're the one to follow. Tell us if you're the Son of God. And in answering that question, Jesus says, let me go one step further. Let me tell you that I claim the divinity of God. Verse 64, Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus, his favorite self-declaration was Son of Man, which flows up out of the book of Daniel, which is Jesus saying, I'm the one who is like God, who is on the right hand of the throne of God, who comes in the clouds and brings about God's judgment, God's kingdom, and God's power. And so Jesus says, from now on, that's how you'll see me because that's who I am. So then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? So now... Jesus is not condemned for sins he committed. There was no charge that would stand against him. And they went looking for that charge. So maybe I'm the only one who questions things and struggles with little tidbits of the gospel story. But when we say, Jesus was a sinless man. How many of us go, eh, he didn't get caught? 
like two of us, okay? I see the smirks, okay? But this passage is addressing that. It's saying no. Like they literally had an open forum for people to bring their charges against him and none of them were found to be valid. Any of us want to sign up for that today? Open forum at Redeemer at 1 o'clock for everybody to bring their charges against you. Any volunteers? No. No. This is, so this is not just a, a random tidbit in the story. It's a really important fact. Christ was not condemned for failures or mistakes that he made. He was condemned for the truth that he told. That he is the son of man. That he is on the throne of the Father. That he renders judgment over the nations. That he receives and is worthy of glory and honor. This is what he is condemned for, for telling this truth. And if we fast forward, Pilate's going to stick that over his head when he says, condemned, king of the Jews. And it causes quite a ruckus because that went into the historical record. But friends, what is playing out is Jesus told a truth that didn't fit into the orthodoxy of the day among the Jews and it caused them to condemn him to death. And call him a blasphemer. So friends. I think this is and was the best way for the story to unfold. Because really Jesus either is telling the truth. And he is the son of man. Or. He was a blasphemer who deserved death. So this charge brings it all to a head. Which one is it? King of kings, Lord of lords, redeemer of sinners, son of man? Liar, blasphemer, heretic, unworthy, should have been killed. So friends, if you're here today and you like that, I don't know, then our invitation to you would be, we would love to help you consider more about this Jesus. Please talk to me. Please talk with whoever brought you here today. We would love to help you consider more about this Jesus. If your answer is, no, I don't think it's true. I think he's a blasphemer. I think he's a liar. Then we would plead with you to reconsider Jesus. Reconsider his claims. Reconsider the truth that he speaks. We would love to help you do that as well. And if you're here today and you're like, no, he's speaking the truth. He is the son of man. 
He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. Good. Good. Now I challenge you, our response to Jesus is not a multiple choice question on an exam. So to to say he's the king of kings, to say he's the Lord of lords, to say he's God's savior, to say he is the builder of God's kingdom, that declaration also comes with a commitment to follow him. It comes with a commitment to go where he's going. It comes with a commitment to lay down our desires and take up his demands to lay down our wants and to learn to love where he is going. So disciples of Jesus, let's build our faith, our discipleship, our commitment to him around verse 64. I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is the king of kings that we know, that we worship, that we belong to. This is the king who calls for us to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow him. This is the king who will bless us. This is the king who brings life everlasting. Let's take our worship, our lives, our struggles, our work to him and plead for him to lead us and change us and guide us. This is what he would desire from us today. So now... Our Father and our God, we pray that you would take these words from your scripture. And as much as they're true, as much as they're right, not the words, we know they are true, but as much as what's been said today is true, is right, is good, we pray that you would help us to walk in your ways, to love you, to serve you, to trust in you. Please be at work, oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.